talks about a caring society. ASEAN talks about sharing society as part of its mandate. But as you can see, it is not realizing any of that effort in the case of, of the Rohingyas. To be completely candid, I think ASEAN has been pathetic in its handling of the crisis in Rakhine Strait. The ASEAN still seem to be very relaxed and very easygoing and ignorant to the situation. And I feel like we are abandoned by ASEAN. Hello and welcome to the second episode of ASEAN's Rakhine Crisis, a two-part podcast series from ASEAN Parliamentarians for Human Rights or APHR. I'm Oliver Slow. This series examines the response of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, to the ongoing crisis in Myanmar's Rakhine State, following the devastating military-led crackdown on the Rohingya population that began on the 25th of August 2017. The attacks saw thousands killed, women and girls raped, hundreds of homes and entire villages burned to the ground. As a result, more than 740,000 refugees, overwhelmingly Rohingya, fled into neighbouring Bangladesh. This series builds upon APHR's recent report, ASEAN's Rakhine Crisis, assessing the regional response to atrocities in Myanmar's Rakhine State, which was published in October 2020. You can read the report on our website, ASEANMP.org. Ahead of the 37th ASEAN Summit this week, in this episode we'll be assessing the role ASEAN has played in addressing the atrocities in Myanmar's Rakhine State and offering recommendations about what it can do to help resolve the protracted issues in the future. This series is part of our new podcast channel, Advocate by ASEAN Parliamentarians for Human Rights, and also includes our recent four-part series, Parliamentarians at Risk. Please listen, share, subscribe, and leave reviews wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The war in Vietnam was escalating. The conflict in Indochina coincided with a time of political transition in Southeast Asia. Indonesia, after a period of domestic turmoil, had just ended its campaign of confrontation against Malaysia and Singapore. The new leadership under President Suharto wanted to re-establish ties with its neighbours on a new footing. The attempted merger between Singapore and Malaysia had also failed, and Singapore found in 1965 that it had to stand on its own. The Philippines, keen on fostering better ties with Malaysia, was also soft-pedalling its claims over Sabah at that time. It was under such circumstances that the five countries of Southeast Asia decided to form an organization that would help promote regional cooperation. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN, was established in 1967, originally consisting of five member states, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore and Thailand. In 1984, it expanded to include Brunei Darussalam, and again in the 1990s, when Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar and Vietnam were accepted into the fold. Timor-Leste has applied to become the bloc's 11th member. Much of ASEAN's work is coordinated out of its secretariat, which is located in the Indonesian capital, Jakarta. 
or whether chairmanship of the grouping rotates among member states on an annual basis, and each chair is responsible for holding the ASEAN summit and other meetings. Vietnam is the current chair, with Brunei Darul Salam set to assume the role in 2021. The leaders of all ASEAN countries, the 10 nations, are all attending this ASEAN summit and related summits. Your Majesty, Excellencies, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to the opening ceremony. Its supreme policy-making body is the ASEAN summit, which is held twice annually and is typically attended by its members' heads of state. Among the decisions made at the summit is the appointment of the ASEAN Secretary-General, a role that is held for a non-renewable term of five years. It is currently held by Dato Lim Jokhoi of Brunei Darussalam, who was appointed in January 2018. From its earliest days, ASEAN has been guided by the principles of sovereignty, non-interference and consensus among its members, which are embedded in all of its entities and institutions. Often referred to as the ASEAN way, the approach places emphasis on consensus and engagement over criticism and isolation. For its supporters, it's an essential strategy that ensures harmony among states and secures continued regional dialogue and cooperation. For its critics, however, it's a mere excuse to turn a blind eye in a region where government's respect for human rights is hardly universal. Charles Santiago, a Malaysian MP and APHR's chair, has been highly critical of ASEAN's policy of non-interference. Now clearly if you ask an ASEAN leader, uh, he will say, we, are, we, we do not want to be involved in the affairs, the internal affairs of another nation. But this, in my view, is an excuse to not get involved in the slaughter of the Rohingyas in, uh, in, in uh, Rakhine State. When it comes to business, investments uh, and trade agreements, ASEAN requires each of the countries to actually outline the progress involved in each of the member nations. Uh, but when it comes to political matters and when it comes to the slaughter of uh, Rohingyas, uh, it becomes an internal issue. But when it comes to the issue of business, investment, trade agreements, then the issue of non-interference does not exist. ASEAN and Myanmar's relationship has long been a complicated one. When Myanmar joined the bloc in 1997, the country was widely viewed as a pariah state, in large part due to the appalling human rights record of the ruling military junta. As a result, the decision to accept Myanmar into the fold was controversial. For ASEAN leaders at the time, however, the move was geopolitically strategic, aimed at countering the influence of China and to a lesser extent India in Myanmar and thus in the region as a whole. Some, perhaps generously, credit this policy of engagement with playing a significant role in Myanmar's political transition since 2011. For its part, Myanmar had become economically reliant upon China and welcomed the opportunity to pull away from its neighbour's sphere of influence. China's role in Myanmar, politically and economically, however, remains significant. ASEAN's principle of non-interference has not always held true, especially when it comes to Myanmar and its dismal human rights record. In 2005, ASEAN leaders pressured Myanmar to forfeit its role as the bloc chair the following year after the US and EU governments threatened to boycott ASEAN meetings. While amid the 2007 anti-government demonstrations remembered as the Saffron Revolution, the nine other ASEAN foreign ministers expressed their, quote, revulsion over Myanmar's crackdown on peaceful protesters and called on authorities to, quote, immediately desist from the use of violence. A year later, the bloc dispatched an emergency rapid assessment team to Myanmar after Cyclone Nargis devastated large parts of the country's south. In the wake of Cyclone Nargis, 
The huge storm has become the world's worst natural disaster since the Asian tsunami of 2004. More than 135,000 people are feared to have died. As Nagas swept over the rice paddies of the Irrawaddy Delta, it pushed a wave more than three metres high, 40 kilometres inland. Babies were ripped from the arms of their parents. Husbands clung in vain to wives as the waters rose in the darkness. Tens of thousands of people clung to trees and debris for hours. By dawn, many realised their villages and many of their friends and families had simply been washed away. So what of Asian's response to the crisis in Rakhine? As mentioned in episode one of this series, it's been three years since Myanmar's security forces unleashed a devastating campaign against the Rohingya in northern Rakhine. And the situation remains deadly serious. There are a million Rohingya in Bangladesh, hundreds of thousands living under apartheid in Rakhine state, and others fleeing in deadly journeys by sea to elsewhere in Southeast Asia. Let us not forget that Rakhine state is currently an active war zone. And despite significant pressure, Myanmar authorities have done practically nothing to end the discriminatory laws, policies and practices that have for decades been used to segregate and marginalise the Rohingya. Nor have they taken meaningful steps to ensure accountability for atrocities and have refused to cooperate with international justice mechanisms while promoting their own deeply flawed domestic investigations. And it's not just the Rohingya who are suffering, but all communities living in Rakhine. While the impacts are also being keenly felt elsewhere in the region. To be completely candid, I think ASEAN has been pathetic in its handling of the crisis in Rakhine Strait, going back to even the time before Burma was allowed to join ASEAN. ASEAN actually needs to do so much more to make up for the gaps that it has created in its own response and how it's enabled the crisis to take place. That's the view of Debbie Stoddart from the Human Rights and Democracy Advocacy Group, ASEAN Burma. Stoddart, a long-term activist on issues in Myanmar, said ASEAN has been ineffective in responding to the issues facing the Rohingya going back several decades. In a report published in October, ASEAN's Rakhine crisis assessing the regional response to atrocities in Myanmar's Rakhine state, APHR found that the scale of the crisis in the state has created a major challenge for ASEAN. Caught between respect for its key principles of consensus and non-interference on the one hand, and international and regional outcry on the other, the bloc has struggled to respond effectively, according to APHR. It found that there were four main reasons for the bloc's failure to respond effectively to the crisis, as explained by APHR's chair, Charles Santiago. Lack of leadership uh, in ASEAN, both within the Secretariat and among member states, uh, is one cause of the uh, struggle within ASEAN itself. Number two, uh, a reluctance by ASEAN to acknowledge the underlying human rights dimensions of the crisis. Third, a lack of transparency and engagement, um, as well as institutional weakness within the ASEAN Secretariat itself. It is no longer a Myanmar crisis, but now it is actually an ASEAN crisis. Uh, clearly, uh, a clear lack of strategy for, for dealing with the crisis. Uh, which has which been described from anywhere between weak, muddled, or even incoherent and lacking of leadership and vision in the context of uh, ASEAN itself. It's clear that ASEAN lacks a clear strategy for dealing with the Rakhine crisis. And in the course of researching the report, interviewees variously described its response as weak, muddled, incoherent, and lacking leadership and vision. 
This is largely a result of its principle of non-interference, especially as Myanmar has consistently asserted, and continues to do so, that the issue is an internal one. As a result, involvement from ASEAN in this crisis would have risked undermining one of its founding principles. The crisis also highlighted a lack of cohesion among ASEAN's member states. Some countries, such as Malaysia and Indonesia, wanted to see a stronger response, while others, such as Cambodia, Laos, the Philippines, Vietnam, and of course Myanmar, said the issue was an internal one, and thus adopted the approach of non-interference. It's worth noting that these countries themselves have generally poor human rights records, and likely felt that speaking out would have drawn attention to problems in their own backyards. As one former ASEAN government official said, people living in glass houses are wary of throwing stones. Another challenge was presented by the weakness of the ASEAN Secretariat itself. A former ASEAN member state government official said that the bloc is lacking a secretary general who could have led a more coordinated approach and shown leadership and diplomatic skills in engaging Myanmar. This lack of cohesion and a long-term vision for ASEAN and Rakhine State, coupled with its unwavering commitment to consensus among its members, allowed Myanmar authorities to step in, control the narrative, and dictate what issues ASEAN officials engaged on, how and with whom. This resulted in ASEAN's interventions focusing on so-called low-hanging fruit and failing to address the most fundamental issues. Here's Santiago again. Broadly, one can say the lack of cohesion and long-term vision in ASEAN, uh, for ASEAN in Rakhine, combined with the commitment to consensus, consensus among its members, uh, this is the non-interference principle, has allowed Myanmar authorities to control the ASEAN narrative. This is an important point where ASEAN's narrative is now being dictated by the Myanmar government and not the other way around, not the other way around. And when you dictate the narrative, then you also dictate what is the problem that is uh, that we need to be addressed. However, as the crisis continued and the regional and international outcry showed no sign of abating, ASEAN's own credibility was increasingly being brought into question and leaders realised that they needed to take action. As a result, it embarked on a series of initiatives that it hoped would address the situation. Unfortunately, however, the initiatives ASEAN pursued were focused only on the specific issues the Myanmar government had agreed upon, such as repatriation of refugees and humanitarian assistance. More sensitive topics, including the restoration of citizenship rights, restrictions on movement, enforced ethnic segregation, and the ongoing conflict in Rakhine were all ignored by ASEAN. Weiwei Nu, a Rohingya activist and founder of the Women's Peace Network, said the ASEAN government's lack an understanding of the crisis. We appreciate in the past, uh, over the last few years, some member state has shown some uh, sympathy and took uh, some actions. But they are, given the seriousness and the scale of the crisis, it is very insufficient and ineffective. ASEAN need to recognize importance of the addressing the root causes and ending impunity of the perpetrators. When we have these gross human rights violations, we cannot move forward without bringing justice for the victims and holding perpetrators accountable. For example, since its earliest days, ASEAN leaders have continuously reiterated the need to ensure the safe, voluntary and dignified return of refugees from Bangladesh. While these calls are being made by other actors, including the Rohingya, ASEAN's messaging on this issue makes no reference to the appalling conditions for the Rohingya who remain in Rakhine or the ongoing conflict there. Laura Haig, a human rights researcher, said it was important the Rohingya have the right to return to Myanmar, but can only do so under the right conditions. 
I think it's really important that we that we hear that consistently from many different voices within the international community because it is it is the Rohingya's right to return. The idea that they could be repatriated now is I mean, it's just not possible. Rakhine State is is a war zone, essentially. It's uh, There's a massive armed conflict um, going on, obviously, between the Tamador and the AA. All of those restrictions um, that are in place on Rohingya's lives and their movements remain in place, not to mention the, the security forces, the soldiers who were have been implicated in the genocide against them have haven't been held to account you know they're, they're basically going ahead um, going along with their businesses as they always have so the idea that it would be safe in, is is just um, is, is laughable quite frankly in some cases ASEAN has also appeared at least in principle to support some of Myanmar's policies of segregation and persecution against the Rohingya for example, when ASEAN delegates visited the refugee camps in Cox's Bazaar of Bangladesh in 2019, they promoted the National Verification Card, or NVC, which is viewed by the Rohingya as a tool of their persecution. ASEAN and its member states are also providing financial aid and assistance in Rakhine State for projects such as schools and hospitals, seemingly without ensuring that all communities can access them. Here's Laura Haig again. Well, it's very well to say, oh, we'd like to go in and build a hospital in Rakhine State, because Rakhine State is very poor. All communities there suffer, and it definitely needs development and infrastructure assistance. But, you know, it's one thing to say we'd like to build a hospital. It's another thing to build it in an area that, because of movement restrictions, Rohingya aren't able to access or to build a hospital that has segregated wards between Muslims and Buddhists. And I don't think we've seen from ASEAN that level of understanding. In order to have a positive impact in Rakhine State, ASEAN must properly understand and acknowledge all aspects of the crisis, whether from a human rights, political, humanitarian, social or economic viewpoint. And there's really a simple way of achieving that, by engaging with civil society, humanitarian groups and most importantly, the Rohingya themselves. Here's Charles Santiago. ASEAN had failed to engage the Rohingyas. Uh, while there have been efforts to meet the Rohingya refugees and representatives, many felt they were not meaningfully consulted, uh, and the ASEAN representatives were echoing the Myanmar government's narrative. So therefore, there was no more difference between Myanmar uh, government and ASEAN governments anymore. They were one and the same from the eyes uh, of the oppressed. Weiwei Nu agrees, saying that the Rohingya feel they've been ignored by ASEAN. The Rohingya, has, the affected community, have not been involved or consulted or participated in any of the decision that would impact on their life or any of the strategy. And it is crucial that ASEAN include the people into the solutions, into the discussions, into the decision-making processes and even implementations of those uh, decisions. And I think this is very, very harmful Without involvement of the affected community, we will never find any solution. And this is the same, actually, tactic of the Burmese uh, government. It shows in ingenuity. If they are genuine enough, whether Burmese government or the ASEAN governments, they must talk to the Rohingya people. ASEAN itself would benefit significantly from improved transparency and engagement. Not only would it provide them with a more holistic understanding of the major issues and therefore develop and implement solutions towards resolving it, but it would also allow ASEAN to showcase some of the work it is doing, take credit for its positive initiatives and demonstrate its capability to deal with such a multi-layered and multifaceted crisis. 
APHR's report also pointed to ASEAN's lack of institutions that have the mandate and expertise to respond to a crisis like what's happening in Rakhine. Lillian Fan, international director and co-founder of the Gutan Yo Foundation, said that ASEAN has, quote, insufficient frameworks, concepts, mechanisms to deal with conflict or crisis that is caused by human beings, whether it's called conflict, mass atrocities or genocide. It can only understand issues it has a framework and language for. In the early months of the 2017 crisis, the ASEAN Coordinating Centre for Humanitarian Assistance on Disaster Management, or AHA Centre, was mobilised to deliver humanitarian aid to communities in Rakhine State. However, its involvement is problematic for many, notably due to its limited mandate since it is first and foremost a humanitarian response and disaster management agency. While the AHA Centre has significant experience dealing with natural disasters, it lacks the mandate, experience and expertise to respond to so-called man-made disasters, like the one in Rakhine State. Similarly, the ASEAN Intergovernmental Commission on Human Rights, or ICHA, is ASEAN's main body tasked with protecting and promoting human rights, but lacks the mandate to respond to the crisis, and has also been hampered by a lack of independence and the need to ensure a consensus among members. Santiago has been highly critical of ICHA's response to the crisis. And ICHA is, should be the one uh, to be bringing the touch of human rights and democracy for the ASEAN governments, but unfortunately it was completely muted. Its role has been completely muted. In fact, I should say it's become, it is a, a toothless human rights body. I mean, it's ironical that a human rights body witnessing you know, the slaughter of thousands and thousands of people in the region and there is no mention of it in any of the uh, reports or any of the uh, statements that comes out from the ICHA, which is the human rights body. The ASEAN Secretary-General refused a request for an interview from APHR. It should be pointed out that many of ASEAN's institutional weaknesses are not isolated to the situation in Rakhine State and reflect wider concerns, which must be addressed in order for the bloc to become truly people-centred. While APHR's report is critical of ASEAN's response to the crisis, it's worth acknowledging that the bloc has pushed many of its internal boundaries, especially its founding principles of non-interference. ASEAN has also been able to maintain a dialogue with the Myanmar authorities. The truth is that ASEAN does have the potential to play a more effective role in helping to end this crisis. Letitia van den Assen, an independent diplomatic expert, former Dutch ambassador and former member of the Advisory Commission on Rakhine State, otherwise known as the Kofi Annan Commission, called for ASEAN to step up. Let me say that I do believe that ASEAN wants to play a role. And it has, over the, 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 the last few years, I think, started to, to look at the broader picture. It can play a role and it should play a, a more significant role in, in Rakhine State, but it needs a comprehensive strategy guided by the principle of do no harm and also by rec recognizing and helping to ensure the equal rights of all who rightfully call that state home. Do no harm is the guiding principle of avoiding exposing people to additional risks through your action. ASEAN doesn't have to start from scratch. There is the report that was written by the Advisory Commission on Rakhine State, also often referred to as the Rakhine as, as the Rakhine report or as the, the, the Anan report. It's by no means perfect, but it was, it, it was the result of a long and consultative process. The majority of the members of the Commission 
where where from from Myanmar. It contains a lot of issues that together form a roadmap of how the situation in Rakhine State should be approached and has very specific recommendations that until now have remained largely ignored. In its report, APHR has made a number of recommendations to several different actors, most notably ASEAN and its member states, in order to play a more effective role. The bloc has the opportunity to build upon its unique access to the Myanmar government and on its legitimacy as a regional actor to effectively contribute to ending the cycle of violence in Rakhine State. To do so, it must first recognise that the crisis in Rakhine is not solely a humanitarian one and therefore develop a holistic strategy that is guided by the principles of do no harm and non-discrimination. It must also use all political and diplomatic tools at its disposal to push Myanmar's government towards creating conditions that are conducive to the safe, voluntary and dignified return of displaced communities, regardless of ethnic or religious identity, and request regular progress updates. It must also halt any steps to facilitate the repatriation of Rohingya refugees to Myanmar, unless and until violence in Rakhine state has ceased and the conditions in Myanmar are conducive for a safe return in dignity. It must also acknowledge the Rohingya's identity and ensure meaningful consultation with and participation of the Rohingya in Myanmar, the refugee camps in Bangladesh, and their representatives in all decisions concerning their future. Laura Haig, the human rights researcher, said ASEAN has the opportunity to play a more proactive role in resolving the crisis. People often say that ASEAN hasn't really done anything on this crisis, and I, I don't think that's quite accurate. I think they actually have, as a bloc, tried to maybe push the boundaries a little bit about what they would ordinarily be comfortable doing, because obviously they have these principles of non-interference and consensus. But I think what they have done, it just it hasn't quite, it hasn't been effective. Um, in some cases, it's actually been downright problematic. And I think what what ASEAN could really do is, you know, they have some influence with the Myanmar government, not a huge amount, because very few, very few states do, but ASEAN does. And I think ASEAN could play a really important role in pushing Myanmar to do some of the things that we know need to happen, you know, around movement restrictions, around um, cooperating with international processes, around um, humanitarian access. ASEAN really needs to do a bit of a 180 and really start to look at this from the perspective of the Rohingya rather than the Myanmar government, which is what they're doing at the moment, and essentially giving the Myanmar government a bit of a free pass and allowing them to essentially dictate the narrative. This episode of ASEAN's Rakhine Crisis podcast series was written and produced by me, Oliver Slow, with editorial input from Elise T.A. Debusset. APHR's work is supported by the Swedish International Development Cooperation Agency, the Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and the Open Societies Foundation. This series is part of APHR's new podcast channel, Advocate, which addresses some of the most important human rights developments in Southeast Asia. For more information about APHR's work, please visit our website, ascnmp.org. Thanks for listening.